0: Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. I'm Gary
1: and I'm Sandra
0: and together we are the Cocktail Lovers.
1: We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 12 years but this is the place where we're going to be talking about cocktails.
0: We're going to be talking about products,
1: we're going to be talking about books
0: and we're going to be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you will
1: love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the industry and asking them to share their top tips with us to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends, cocktail wise. So let's hear what's on the show this week. It's a funny old time of year. Half of the world is feeling virtuous and doing the dry thing, the rest is having none of it. We're not here to judge either camp, which is why this episode has something for both. Our drink selection takes in Sprigster, a non-alcoholic shrub infusion created in an English country kitchen garden. And for those who are partaking in the drinking of alcohol, there's Engine, a new, funky, organic Italian gin inspired by, wait for it, Racing cars. We head to Lioness on the South Bank for a fab selection of alcoholic and non-alcoholic cocktails, and for our reading matter, we're picking up tips and all sorts of inspiration from the Japanese art of the cocktail, the gorgeous new book by Masahiro Ureshido and Michael Anstendik. Last but by no means least, we're delighted to welcome the amazing Claire Warner to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. As a creator of top-notch beverages of the alcoholic and non-alcoholic varieties and one of the forerunners of the mindful drinking movement, we couldn't think of a more knowledgeable person to talk to about getting the balance right, not just in January, but the year ahead. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves a cocktail.
0: This week, I am going to make a delicious Bobby Burns. Bobby Burns is, let's face it, a whiskey-based cocktail. is a thing of beauty and deliciousness at any time of the year. But particularly now, it's January, it's cold, it's raining. So a nice... Well, I say warming, it's going to be ice cold, but a whiskey-based cocktail... But whiskey is warming, isn't it? That's what I was trying to say in my cack-handed fashion. Yeah,
1: well, that's why I tried to help you. (laughs) Here to help, my friend, here (laughs) to help. Thank
0: you, thank you, thank you. So I'm making it for a number of reasons. A, because, as we say, whiskey, delicious, winter, fantastic. Also, I'm planning ahead because Burns Night is the 25th of January, so I think it's good to plan ahead and be organised. So I'm getting in my Burns Night recipe, my burns night cocktail good and early and i've also got a soup song of scottish blood so this <laughs> oh is god
1: to go with your yorkshire and your welsh and everything uh, else. and everything else okay yeah
0: good. so um this is my flying
1: my, the flag for britain
0: yeah i am and you know a little nod to my scottish heritage right so i'm going to make a bobby burns which is I kind of, it's similar to a Manhattan cocktail, but the key difference being that I'm using Scotch whiskey or the recipe calls for Scotch whiskey rather than bourbon or rye. And there's a little dash of Benedictine rather than bitters. But yeah, it's certainly in that kind of groove of a Manhattan. But using the Scotch whiskey makes a real difference, as you're about to discover, my friend.
1: Marvellous.
0: So I've got my glasses chilling. Always a couple of nice little Nick and Nora glasses chilling away. This is a stirred cocktail. So I've got my mixing glass here and I want to get plenty of ice into there. I suppose you can put the ingredients in first or you can put the ice in first. In this instance, I'm putting in the ice in first so that my glass, my mixing glass is nice and chilled. Then I'm going in with a nice blended Scotch whiskey.
1: Which one are you using? In this
0: instance, I'm using Ballantines, but make sure, always make sure you do use a nice blended Scotch whisky. So I'm going to do two parts of that. So two parts of Ballantine blended Scotch whisky and two parts of sweet vermouth. In this instance, Martini.
1: That's always a good basic one to have, isn't it? it? Is. It's really good go all rounder
0: so two parts of that and lastly the aforementioned benedictine which is a, a lovely ingredient it crops up in a lot of cocktails like a and B, a B&B, a brandy and benedictine and you can have it hot and things like that mm. and i'd really it's a uh, ingredient in the liqueur that i particularly like it's got that nice herbaceous sort of edge to it so it's I'm,
1: also got a nice um sweetness too so and that's what it adds to this cocktail isn't yes it, it yes. binds everything together and is, yeah it's really luscious actually yeah
0: i mean it's an interesting recipe because if you look around there's quite a lot of variations and there's one that recommends uh Drambui, which i know you like mm. uh, instead of benedictine so there's and some have bitters so there's lots of things to play around but anyway as i say the version i'm doing I've got two parts of the blended Scotch whisky, two parts of the sweet vermouth, and one part of the bed. So nice and easy. Yeah. Two, two, one. That's why I was quietly confident it's going to be delicious, because the measures are pretty easy. But also, it's it's always
1: nice when it's something that you can remember like that, two, two, one. You know, so it um, makes it very, very easy to to go along with, I think. Well, as we always say, easy is a good thing when Mm. it comes to... uh, So you're you're looking ahead to um, Burns Night, as you said. So that's on the 25th. So we are good and early with this. So I've been stirring a lot here because, as we say, with shaken cocktails
0: as well, sometimes, you know, you can understir, but I think it's good to give it a good old stir because I want it nice and blended. I want it good and cold and I want it a little bit of dilution. So I'll just uh, empty the ice out of my chilling Nicanora glasses. Pour this out. Uh, here we go. Mm. Got a lovely amber hue, mm-hmm. if that's the word I'm it looking looks delicious. for about it. And garnish-wise, all I'm going to do is peel a little bit of lemon. Do a couple of those, one each. And squeeze that over the top so you get the nice lemon oil on top. But I'm not going to drop it in. I'm just going to wipe it around the glass, discard that. And if you're really feeling fancy, I did see... A recipe for this i think it was mr Difford actually garnishes it on the side with a bit of shortbread so that might be oh
1: yes might be a nice oh touch. i want shortbread please uh, sorry <laughs>
0: oops but also this is a great one to serve alongside haggis because i love haggis so i'll be serving this alongside haggis for you on burns night anyway here we go the bobby burns cheers
1: cheers thank you and we'll be carrying on the whiskey theme in our next episode where we'll be having a little bit of spotlight on whiskey. will be past Burns Night then, but we're still going to do a nice little spotlight on this wonderful spirit. Always
0: worth talking about whiskey.
1: Absolutely. And so the, the recipe we'll be doing next time will be a whiskey mac, which Ooh, is just mac. some Scotch whiskey and Stone's Original Green Ginger Wine. Mm. Two ingredients, one hell of a drink. So and talking should, of
0: one hell of a drink thoughts on the bobby burns
1: i haven't even tasted it yet yeah, One get, second. get involved as they say well that's good it's good it's punchy but it's actually you've you've stirred it in well it look it's really smooth. really and tasty. the
0: benedictine it does sm- give it really a nice, nice smooth smooth smoothness finish, so yeah so i'm looking forward to
1: your whiskey mac as well thank you So the first product review that we're going to do for the year is going to be a non-alcoholic drink that oh, we've right. got here. Okay. I thought this was quite appropriate because a lot of people are halfway through their dry January. Yeah. And and also there's so many products coming out. So it's it's almost Difficult to keep you're, up. You're with doing all a stunt. semi-dry January. I'm calling you? it damp, yes, okay. because Damp-damp. you know I'm not saying that I'm not drinking. Obviously, because of what we do, there's some of the things that we have to sample. But I'm just being a bit more moderate this January yeah. after the craziness of December, like a lot of people actually. Yeah, of course. So, did you know? Apparently, one in three UK drinkers now regularly choose low or no alcohol products that's amazing it is really it is. really is and it's not that they're giving up alcohol no. altogether it's just that some days they want to take a break and just being a bit more we conscious all do. you know there's yeah. times you want you want something interesting to drink but yeah you want it a little bit lighter exactly and so that's why we've got these amazing products that are coming out and i thought we would try this one it's called sprigster And it is created, it's a a non-alcoholic aperitif designed by the restaurant team at Kitchen Garden Co., which is based in in South Wiltshire. The garden itself dates back over two centuries, and this drink itself was created in 2012. Oh, (laughs) so
0: it's not like they've jumped on a sort of, you know, ride. Of non-alcoholic no, or low-alcoholic they, well, things.
1: The thing is, the garden's been there. They've they've grown veg and herbs and fruits right. and things like that. And they've used them in the kitchen and for giving out to locals and things like that. But they've never put it into a drink before. Oh, I see. Okay. So this is a sort of chefy kind of approach to right. a drink. Um, it looks
0: cloudy. Does it need shaking or anything? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it's not actually that's uh, the colour. And it uh, when you think about it, a lot of the non-alcoholic drinks are a little bit cloudy, apart yeah. from the ones, the ones that call themselves spirits. This is not. It's more of a shrub, which okay. is like a vinegary type based drink. And and that's the reason why I've chosen it, because there's usually a bit more complexity with this. So for people like us that Go for punchier drinks, let's yes. say. Yeah, you do want a bit more flavour, and I think that for me, a shrub is that it's got that lovely acidity and there's a yeah. sort of real complexity. Yeah. I mean, I,
0: I like it in cocktails, so I'll be interested. Yeah, to and sort of and try this, this is the is.
1: other thing that this can be used in cocktails as yeah. well. So it's not just designed as a non-alcoholic yeah. drink. So, so in happy. this one, what we have it's a mix of They've got hops in there for the dryness. They've got fennel seeds for a subtle hint of anise. So, you know, you get that lovely aniseed-y flavour. There's rhubarb for a bit of tang, ginger for heat. And then they distill all of this in grain vinegar, and then it's blended with apple reduction and English spring water. Wow. So, and this is
0: no alcohol? This is No, no alcohol.
1: alcohol. Right, okay. Zero. And how do they... We're going to
0: try it first, I think, Neat. neat but yeah. how do they... Do they have recommendations? Well, their signature
1: serve is with tonic water. Okay. But they say you can have it with soda if you want it even drier. Oh, okay. <laughs> but also on their site, they have got... um sort of in-house mixologist so he has come up with some alcoholic drinks and also some non-alcoholic drinks giving so them both the love yeah like. so we're going to taste this neat first as gary said it has got a cloudy sort of cloudy apple feel yeah. to
0: it but that's nonetheless appealing for
1: mm. that and and it has on got the nose. nose it's
0: kind of sharp mm. in that but I like anything that's kind of like shrubs and vinegar. Well, that's I what I said. Like it just it
1: it brings a bit more to the party, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, we have tasted mm. quite a lot of non-alcoholic drinks. That there's something missing, you know. Yeah. Alcohol, <laughs> but no, not but really. It's just the that.
0: Or a yeah, there or can something. be
1: kind of two dimensional. So this one has got it. Certainly wakes you up, doesn't Ooh. it? It's I got, like a, that got a sharp punch to it when you drink when you're now tasted yeah. it. And also, it reminds me of that sort of cider vinegary thing, mm. you know, that's supposed to be really good for you. So I'm feeling that this is doing me kind of yeah. good stuff as well as being packing a punch mm. in the flavour department. So now I mean, we can try it with tonic the tonic water.
0: I may, You might need to top me up with the main ingredient there because I gulped that. Yeah, well,
1: that's good. Mm. I mean, it's something that you could have midday. You can have in the bar or at home when particularly at this time of the dry January thing, I think that people start to wane a little bit. And even if you may have done a successful two weeks, then you start craving a little bit something. A bit so.
0: of flavour excitement. Yeah, so yeah. this
1: can... Just be the thing that helps to to get you through. I think. Mm. So there you go. No, that's bit, I haven't put no, ice the tonic, in there. It know. should do. But um, and then also, as they say, to garnish it with some seasonal fruit or some, you know, some leaves or some herbs yeah, you or something. Pick up on some of those ingredients. Mm. Yeah, that is that's lovely nice with the actually. the tonic water. And also, mm. as I said, it feels that that it's cutting through. You know, yeah. it's like if you had a a heavy meal or something that was a bit you could have greasy with it. yeah 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 it would cut through yeah. that so i think that's rather nice yeah and they've already won a gold star in the great taste awards and it was shortlisted as a finalist in the great british food awards in the non-alc category so that's a big big um thumbs up It is available in 70 CL bottles for £26. But you can also try it as a sample size, which we have, which is a 20 CL bottle. And it comes in a beautiful handmade wooden crate. And it has two little cans of um, tonic water and some dried dried garnish for you to have. And it's a beautiful little gift. And that's £25. Also, to add on this... No added sugar, sweetener free, low in calories, gluten-free, wow. vegan friendly, so you can have that during your veganuary, and no artificial colours. So Wow,
0: they've done a good job.
1: Yeah, so we we recommend this. Um, you can have a little look on our Instagram feed to see what it looks like, but we recommend giving it a, a taste as well.
0: So, following on from your delicious non-alcoholic drink. I'm going slightly in the opposite direction. I should put out the uh, the spoiler here that <laughs> what we're about to try is uh, something which is a 42% ABV. <laughs>
1: wow, so totally,
0: <laughs> totally dialed up. So yeah, we're he- heading in the other direction a little. It's a gin, and it goes by the name of Ngin, spelled Engine, spelled E N G I N E, but they've put the gin. In italics, so Ah, get it? see boom, boom, yeah. Um, (laughs) now, first up, and we both said this when we first saw it, it's very, very unusual looking. It looks like an oil can, it looks like motor oil. So, it's not even a bottle, I don't think it's a can, 500 cl can. And yes, as Sandra just said, it looks like a can of oil. And it says on the front, engine underneath fuel the dream fuel the dream yeah, okay.
1: they must have had fun with um, all of the, line, the strap well, lines well
0: I haven't even got going on that <laughs> um,
1: and it's underneath that more importantly perhaps it says pure organic gin mm. so it, that's interesting because it doesn't look like it's going to be organic, no, does it? it there's no. something, and I don't know what what should organic look like. You you expect well, something pure, or that's a really good mm, point. What does organic look mm, like, and does it have to look like anything? Yeah, so exactly.
0: Why not make it look fun? Like, fun, and I think it this is fun. It's a, a London dry gin, and it's made in the northwestern part of Italy, right? And it's interesting because looking at the can and indeed the website, it is a mashup of organic gin and racing cars.
1: Before we get on to that, because some people, you've just said it's a London dry gin, but it's made in Italy. Yeah. Is that an oxymoron? Do people, you know, do people think of London Dry just being made in London? That's a
0: really good point, and this does come up a lot, and I think it's always worth reiterating that London Dry is a style, good. a Juniper Forward style of gin, but it can be made in absolutely anywhere in the world, unlike Plymouth gin, which has to be plymouth gin in plymouth perfect so yeah it's, it's really just good. to let people know it's really good to raise that because it does sound a bit strange i love the dry gin from northwestern italy but it is let me quickly tell you about the ingredients and also i've put down here i'm looking at the what they say so they've described the ingredients and what they do so they say it's got sage to chill and mouthy lemons to energize licorice roots to digest Damask rose to relax, spring water to refresh, essential oils to make it essential, <laughs> and juniper berries and wheat alcohol to make it gin. That's their words. And as I say, it looks like an oil can and when you read up on it, they they, they talk their description is that it celebrates oil and fuel cars, motocross races and racing vehicles. But Pardon? in <laughs> That's, it celebrates all of those kind of right. racing things, but in a gin, and they even reference the Dukes of Hazard. Wow. Uh, which was a bit lost on me, because I don't think I ever watched it. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, okay. But anyway, they reference that. So you look at their site, and it's a little bit bonkers, in a good way. Bonkers can be good. <laughs> and uh, it's got some great cartoon characters on there. So anyone who's heard some of the earlier editions of our podcast, everyone knows I'm forming a gang of my favourite cartoon characters from the <laughs> drinks world. So they're in. <laughs> they're in. So anyway, let's get back to the gin itself. So I'm, oh, I've had a trouble in recent episodes opening, certain so Products, mm. but um, this has opened brilliantly easy. So it's a screw cap because it looks like an oil can.
1: It's, it's quite interesting because of the oil can thing. I wonder how it's going to pour because it has got quite a yeah. shallow little spout. Yeah, stem. it's not a neck. No. It is,
0: it is a spout. It's and a and how does it spout.
1: feel yeah. pouring? Because again, it's not a bottle, it's from a yeah. can. So there's certain things that sometimes design fun designs can be fun but are they practical how yeah. does it feel it was to be honest it's a good point
0: you were just made because it was a little bit i i can be a little bit cat handed at the best of times and that did feel a little bit awkward mm. pouring it but you know i've got it out without spilling any so that's good so here it is 42 abv let's have a little little touch on the nose wow i think the amalfi lemons are coming through okay all right, a little taste.
1: Hmm, it's very different, and I'm trying to work out what that difference is. Maybe there's a bit of the sage that's coming through for the yeah. herbaceous, um, herbaceous quality. Mm. It, I, I think you're right about the sage, and I think the lemon is definitely a thing. Yeah, for me. It's almost like reminds me of sherbet that show that i used hmm. to have when i was a little boy it's not i mean you say it's 40 uh, not you say it, it is 42 but it doesn't feel like that huge sort of thwack in the face does no. it it's um it's quite smooth yeah there's yeah. something i can't quite work out i think it must be the sage that is there and that's very prominent for me I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just getting used to it. Well, I think
0: you've raised a good point there because, yes, it's obviously a key uh, botanical Mm. and looking at some of the recipes on their site, which are, by and large, classic recipes like uh, Negroni's and G&T's and things, but... There are a few that they garnish with the sage, so they right, clearly want you to, to bring pull that, that out. And um,
1: also, I mean, as it is um, an Italian product, it, it makes sense that the that herbaceousness is there in the forefront. Yeah. And as you say, with the with the lemons as well, yeah, it's good. And it, yes, carry no, it's, on. I do, I I like it. I mean, it, you, I think it it's a double edged
0: sword. I think it does look very odd. But you've got to go with it, and once you take
1: that on board and just taste it as a gin, I think it's rather nice. Mm. It, for me, it's a little bit. Um, I'm getting used to it. I'll put it that way. I'm, I'm on the fence. Yeah, put it. I put think it'd that make way. a good
0: gin and tea.
1: Yeah, it will make a really good gin and T. and I think that it will be one of those that um, it's worth experimenting with the tonic as well, so you can bring out that. Um, herbal qualities so there are yes. some great tonics out there so you don't just have to stick to the regular tonic you could go for lemon um citrusy forward ones or more herbaceous ones or even the mediterranean style tonics so yeah maybe i'll give it a go that way but as i, I, I said good, you good love it yeah i'm sort of maybe it's my dry january esh um thing that's out a little bit I'm just going to I'll I'll wait until I have it mixed in a Okay.
0: Bottle. So that is engine gin and it's 39 euros, which I guess is around about 33
1: pounds for a 500 ml can, can. <laughs> and and definitely please have a look for the packaging it's really it is really different and it's very it is fun and it is engaging and um yeah worth worth having a little try yeah. particularly everybody loves gins these days so this is a great new one to add to your yeah. collection
0: check check out our our website the dot and our instagram to to see what we're talking about in terms of that design and now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts my name is
2: Pratesh Modi uh, from World of Zing and this is my cocktail hack. So I have a really basic ratio. So if someone tells and asks me how to make a cocktail, I have this really simple ratio in my head of how to make a what a lot of people uh, would identify as a cocktail. So I start with 50 ml of spirit, 25 ml of citrus. So and then about 12 and a half to 15 mil of sugar syrup. So that's your basic cocktail. So you've got your sweet, your sour and your booze. And then the, the super secret hack is jam is one of my favourite things to use in cocktails because, again, kind of if someone wants something fruity, then I've always got marmalade. I've always got strawberry, raspberry jam in the fridge. And suddenly you could make essentially a mojito with a, like a strawberry jam mojito. You can take the rum out and put gin in and then you can turn that into like almost a breakfast martini type drink with your marmalade so yeah for me jam is the uh, unsung hero of the cocktail world because the other thing with jam as well obviously we talk about seasonality and stuff like that but jam you make when it's in season and then you can store it for like forever so it's always it's almost like a sustainable ingredient because like a lot of jam these days like they use waste produce and all this kind of stuff as well right wonky fruit and all that so it's actually a really good, like, from a sustainable, eco-friendly, whatever you want to call it, point of view. It's just a brilliant, brilliant, ingredient, And obviously, it's great on toast.
1: For more from The Cocktail Lovers, see our digital and print magazine and make sure that you subscribe. You can find out all about it on our website, thecocktaillovers.com. And also, you'll find out where to subscribe for our magazine, which is available four times a year in digital and print. So our bar review this week takes us over to the South Bank in London to Lioness, Lioness. which is a wonderful five star hotel bar. Yeah, but it it's really unlike most five star yeah, the, the hotels. Hotel sea
0: containers.
1: The hotel is sea containers, and the bar itself it doesn't have the feel of what you most likely think of a London five-star hotel, which are usually much more classic in style. This is classic, but very modern. Very
0: modern. Um,
1: And and it's, first of all, starting with the setting, it is on the South Bank, as we said, but it's overlooking the River Thames, and it's one of the best view. Well out. best positionings I would say. Because yeah, it's cause on it's street got level. Floor to
0: ceiling, glass mm. all along one wall. Mm. So, and as you say, you look out over the Thames, you see St Paul's in the distance, you see Blackfriars Bridge. It looks absolutely stunning. It's
1: wonderful. And also, I mean most bars are dark, you know, but this has got daylight. So if you go during in during the day, it's wonderful if you go in the evening. There's still that excitement and liveliness that comes from from the, the, the you get summer. the energy of London outside. Exactly. That's what I wanted to say. Thank you very much. <laughs> so it's a wonderful baby blue decor. And I remember speaking to Ryan chetty Wardano when he was talking about this bar and the decor for this bar. They wanted to to create some electric kind of energy and their designer yeah. gave them this palette of this baby blue, which he said was, you know, not something that is usually used, but it just brings such a lovely feel of grace and elegance and modernity mm. to the space M- doesn't it it's yeah, really absolutely. really yeah. beautiful so it's warm it's welcoming it's comfortable it's fun and it's got the most exceptional service yeah and and also
0: one other thing we should say it's got a really long bar hasn't it yes i don't know if we were talking about this on on the visit about mm. whether it was the longest bar in london we don't know but, it's but it must be it one must, of one up one up one up what, right up there, one, yeah. one of the top long, longest bars. Yes,
1: beautiful marble bar. And also every element of it is really designed well, but not over-designed. So it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable no it's not like
0: you're in a music uh, no. sort of art gallery
1: so it's all seated um and and there's a good reason for that it's really nice the way that the team can come over and actually really engage and with they you do, at the table they? yeah and yeah. they're really friendly they all sort of there's no such thing as waiters and bartenders everybody mucks in and you know they they do everyone all does of everything it. Yeah, which yeah. is great. So anybody that you talk to knows about the drinks, the menu, everything in detail, and they happily share as much as you want to know with you, yeah. which I think is and great. It's great
0: for people who really want to drill into it, It's particularly the, the new menu, which we're going to talk about shortly. Mm. You can, If you want to, you can really grill the staff and they will really tell you all about it.
1: Mm. And also, they're always looking to, yeah, going on to the menu, I suppose. This one, it's called the British Cookbook. Yes. And they're always looking to surprise and delight. But also, they approach their menus with this sort of cook's approach to flavour, don't they? So, they try to create new flavours. So yeah. so it's things that you they may be familiar, but they're not quite like you've tasted before. I think like, they, they say something before.
0: like, and I'm not quoting here, I'm just trying to remember what I read, but they say something like they come at it from the angle of ingredients yes. rather than this is a cocktail. Yes. So it's like they find interesting ingredients yeah. that they then make into a drink.
1: Yeah, so they've got, how would you describe it? Because it's split into sections.
0: What, the, on the new menu? Yes. Yeah. So they've got five ingredients that they've created Mm. five very different ingredients that they've created and each of those in turn is expressed in
1: three Three different ways and they try to to make sure that all flavor profiles are covered or all profiles are covered so you all get a long drink you'll get a straight up drink and a short drink within each of those categories
0: and uh and I think it's worth talking – well, it's not to say worth talking. It's really <laughs> yes. essential, actually, I should say, <laughs> to talk about these five ingredients yes. they've created. And before we do, what's good? You can, if you choose – you can have a little taste of any one of these yeah, five. They're and they, they cost, yeah, they're called little samplers. Yeah, and they cost two pounds if you yeah, want to sample them. Yeah, and it's a really the, good way to
1: to yeah. engross yourself in the menu because A, you can choose a p- flavour profile that really resonates with you and see how it works in the drink. But keep the sampler as well and sort of go backwards and forwards and see how it actually Replicates itself in that drink. It's really great. So, you know, Gary, do you want to say what the expressions yeah, are? Yeah. So the first up, there's something
0: called oyster honey, mm. uh, which is, I guess, it's almost what it says on the tin. It is kind of I, exploration I, I, of bees
1: and and, and, and oysters. oysters. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, 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 we can't go into too much of how it's done because it's so detailed. Yeah. You have to ask about the <laughs> they, you know, they rehydrate things and they dry things and they all, all sorts of technical wizard.
1: Yeah. And, and that's another thing. I mean, you know, these they'll come across and they'll talk to you and really make it seem quite simple. But the hours and hours of preparation that must go into these core flavours that they've created is off the scale. In fact, the lovely lady, Georgia, that was talking to us when we went yesterday, she said it's taken seven months of yeah, research and development well and things. That. And, yeah. it, you know, she her eyes lit up when she was explaining it because yeah. they learned something. So much about themselves and the ingredients as well. Yeah,
0: I mean it must. I mean seven months. That's hard work. (laughs) It's long, no, really hard work. Dedication. I really take my hat off to them. But it's kind of paid off. So as I said, there's oyster honey. There's blood Curaceo, which is uh, using pig's blood
1: yeah dehydrated pig's
0: blood. yeah and uh and i think they they mention about this whole very i think it's some, i don't know if it's a british thing but the sort of nose, nose to the tail to, yeah. approach to yeah so you're using every ounce of the, so the blood of the pig not yeah. getting wasted so and also the that.
1: the pig's blood is one of those things it has that lovely min- minerality you know it adds a real flavour and depth of flavour yes. to, to whatever it's added to. So that's
0: good. That had that. Then there's the green sauce liqueur, mm-hmm. which I think was kind of lots of
1: green, green, herbs, green herbs, sour yeah. fruit and, and mushrooms, I think. So yeah. this one, Georgia explained, it's created to cut through fatty flavours like a lot of the sauces that you'll find in overseas dishes as well. Then the next one is malt and grass amazaki. Yeah, which is exploration of the malting process. So that one was fascinating. I mean, they all are, but yeah, you know, some as we say will resonate with you more than others. And then the last is the fruit furikake. I think I'm yeah, not I,
0: sure if I've got I, that I right. I think you maybe have
1: well yeah <laughs> i won't put my life yeah. on it but anyway this one is using native seaweed and blending it with local fruits and veg for this sweet sort of salinity and again some for yeah. richness and we and we
0: did as i said earlier we did try each of these five as the samples. Of, uh, samples on their own which was uh and we spent actually quite a long time yeah. tasting those because it was so intriguing and yeah. we were going backwards and forwards and discussing them and yeah and sorts. also
1: trying to when you when you have the menu as well in front of you trying to see how it would work in a drink yes if that that sort of that star would work with you and i was doing a, a bit of an experiment <laughs> on my behalf because the reason why we chose Lioness particularly for this episode was because we are in the midst of the dry January thing and even though we don't want to go on about it too much because if you choose to do it great if you don't choose to do it great but it's so nice if you do choose to do it that you can still go out and enjoy some really good drinks and This menu really has a good selection of non-alcoholic cocktails, six of them, in fact. And and also, they integrate them in the menu in such a way that you don't feel like you're being cheated out of a cocktail experience. Some of the drinks, you can get a version of the alcoholic one and also a non-alcoholic version. And there was also one that um, it was a non-alcoholic one. That was the Star and if you wanted to add some booze, that was added yeah. as well. So I like
0: the fact that it's not like a separate section. No. They're, they're woven in completely, yeah, aren't they? Yeah,
1: exactly. So again, you can try these samplers and see which one resonates with you for a non-alcoholic option. And also another note on those five flavours, even in the menu itself, if there's a drink on there or you have a favourite classic that you want to see how it works in that classic, they invite you to ask them to do it, and they'll whip it up like, yeah. like the pros that they are. So what
0: we had, mm-hmm. so we did another experiment. Yes. Because we're always keen to learn. We, <laughs> what we did, we took one of the, the versions that's, uh, that you just mentioned that sort of comes in an alcoholic and non-alcoholic version, and we ordered one of each. You went for, because you're doing your dry stroke damp January, <laughs> yeah. you ordered the, the non alcoholic version. No, I ordered the, uh, as the control group, I ordered the <laughs> alcoholic version.
1: Yeah, which um, section was that? I've got the menu. So
0: this was the, was the from the, uh, the malt, grass, and Amasaki yes. section. And this is called the One Up Highball, which is three spirit livener, grass Amasaki, which we talked about, genetian and pine brew. Gentian. Gentian pine brew. And then I had it with the added Porter's Orchard
1: gin. Yeah. And so I must say, it was very super, super light, which was great because, you know, for my non-alcoholic version, it was crisp, it was refreshing, very green, I would say, in flavour and and style. And also, it felt like one of those that you could have at breakfast, you know, and skip out and go to the gym or something. It was really beautiful. Yeah, it was very,
0: very refreshing. Yes. It had a a real depth of flavour. I, I tried yours as well as mine, and mm. I, you know there was there. Were, obviously, there was a difference, but uh, I liked both versions. I think with with the addition of the uh, the Porter's Orchard gin, it just kind of gave it a little bit of another dimension. Yeah, another mm. dimension, perhaps a little bit more of an edge. But having said that, if I'd had your version only, I'd have been equally mm. happy.
1: I found, and also it was funny because I found my one. Much more effervescent in a way, yeah, but yeah, um, I yeah that. that was yeah. that was cool. I love that. And then we went for
0: then we we went our separate ways yes, and yes. ordered other drinks from the menu. I ordered because I was I'm, I of the the five ingredients we tried. I really loved most of all the the blood Curoseo. So I wanted something with that in it.
1: I did too, but yeah. there wasn't a non alcoholic mm, version.
0: But, but I went for the blood brown derby. Which was uh, made with bourbon whiskey, grapefruit juice, and maple syrup. And, of course, the um, blood curacao. Yeah. And I really loved this. It was uh, a nice uh, punchy drink, over ice, had a lot of depth. Yeah, I, I liked it because the curacao sort of really cut through, cut through the whiskey and the, the the syrup, and just kind of gave it a sort of slightly acidic edge, which I really appreciated. It was a lovely drink.
1: Okay, I went for the Dufftown Manhattan, which is from the fruit cake side of the menu. I went for this also because it was called a Manhattan, and it, it you know I wanted something that was booze less but felt boozy in a way. And even if that was just the description of the drink I wanted in, I loved the way that it came prepared because this really was a drink that looked like a cocktail. I must say the other one was long and light and, you know, a, a highball is, is a highball, even though this one looked beautiful yeah. with, with all the mint and stuff. But the Dufftown Manhattan really looked like a beautiful Cocktail, it came in a long stemmed. I think it one is one of those Remy nude glasses, which I Mm. love. Beautiful, elegant, had a lovely olive garnish, and it just made you feel like you were part of the drinking experience. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And so I'd say, you know, it's never going to be the same as having a boozy cocktail, no way. But this did have complexity. There was spice. There was smoke. And there was just a lovely, yeah, beautifully put together. So you felt that you were having something that was flavoursome. And it wasn't just a a fruity, you know, non-alcoholic drink. It was a beautiful drink for somebody that usually would go for alcohol, but wants still some of those flavours and the whole experience that you get when you're drinking alcohol. So that was really good. Also... What I do love about their non-alcoholic drinks—they seven fifty, which I think is a yeah. really good price. Even their their booze, are the, boozy cocktails,
0: or thirteen fourteen, 14 which is
1: great yeah. for yeah. for a five-star bar. And I must say, the other thing, which was great, considering it was the first week of January, we went and it was fall in there. So yeah, I'm glad to see that people are out and enjoying themselves.
0: And we certainly were.
1: <laughs> we definitely were. So I think, you know, it's definitely, it's a wonderful menu. You must go and speak to the team. I mean, you know, I I would urge you to find out more about the way that they've created these drinks and the methodology and everything that goes behind it. But more importantly, just go and try them. I couldn't agree more.
0: This week from our library, I've Poured out a relatively new book. It's a fabulous new book, in fact, called The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, Recipes, Tips and Techniques from Katana Kitten in New York City and beyond.
1: Ah, Katana Kitten?
0: How did I say it? Katana. Oh, wh- but I suppose what, both what ways. Is well, I, I think
1: know. it's Katana Kitten. Just you. because it, it probably is Katana, but I like Katana. Because right. <laughs> I, I, I'm
0: now very, very confused. Yeah. But I think the important thing is neither of us have yet been there, which is really unfortunate I because know. when we do get back to New York, which I hope will be soon, this is gonna I'm going to make my a first. beeline for yeah. that place. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Hearing such great things about it. And, of course, the man behind Katana, or Katana <laughs> Kitten, is uh, none other than Masahiro Urashidu, who is also the author of this book, along with Michael Astendig. Yes. And together, they have put together this wonderful book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail.
1: And they're a fascinating and fabulous duo, both of them individually, but together, it's a mighty package, isn't it? It is. I, mean, I- Masa,
0: uh, I'm not being sort of like his best mate, but we do, all, everyone refers to ma- uh, Masahiro as Masa, so yes. I think we're allowed to do that. Masa is an amazing bartender. He's been around as a bartender for about 20 years, starting off in Tokyo, where he learned his sort of Japanese craft before moving over to New York, notably uh, Saxon and Parole. Where he sort of went on to sort of blend the sort of New York style and the the Japanese style mm. and really make it his own. And, thing. and
1: he has one of the best and biggest smiles in the business. So he really does. He's one of our favourites. And yeah, that when he smile, smiles, everyone yes. smiles.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm seeing it in my mind's eye now, which is lovely. And and he's worked with Michael, who's a great writer, on this book. And uh, yeah, it's just a lovely, lovely story. It tells massive story, but it also Tells you a lot about Japanese bartending, but his approach, which is, as I said earlier, bringing Japanese and uh, American styles together. And I think, first of all, just hold up this cover. It's Mm. got a great cover. Mm. And let me just describe that. I think with cocktail books, you might expect to see a cocktail on the cover or something along those lines. What it is, it's a close-up of Masa's hands carving an ice sphere and that's one of his real specialities: is sort of ice carving. And we were lucky enough to sort of <laughs> see he him. He taught
1: us how yeah, to he do it. Like ta- taught us <laughs> well, <how to>, tried. <laughs> well, I say
0: taught us. I was lucky not to lose a few fingers trying to do, but uh, he was very kind and said I'd made a good effort, which is a way of sort of saying <laughs> codes for rubbish, <laughs> <laughs> rubbish. But uh, but watching him do it, oh, uh, it's amazing. it, he does kind of carves a cube of ice into a sphere of ice in a matter of a few minutes, and it's a perfect sphere. Mm. It perfectly drops into a rocks glass, and it looks beautiful. So on the cover, you've got this close-up of his hands doing that. So it's very iconic. It really represents Masa and what he, one of the many things that he is about. And as I say, he talks about Japanese bartending and you know hard shake and his tur- take on the hard shake, which I think he calls something like the fluffy shake. So there's lots of lovely insight in terms of the recipes. He describes them, they describe them as uh, they're mainly recipes from his bar his favorite recipes but they are he's reproduced them for bartender, uh, not bartenders for people like us to make at home so they're all there in a lot of detail but what I would say and I'll hand the book over to you so while, while I'm talking what I would say is it feels almost closer to a really good food recipe book and what I mean by that is that Don't think this is a book you can open one evening and think, I feel like a cocktail. I'm going to dive in and make a cocktail from this book now. You've got to plan. You've got to think ahead because... He uses a lot of amazing ingredients, but ones you will have to source. You're probably not going to have sitting mm. on your your spirit, your liquor shelf. Or
1: things that you might have to prepare ahead. Yeah.
0: Um, and there are a lot of ingredients that he makes, sort of in really intricate syrups and tinctures and things like that, which are, they sound delicious, but you've got to make those in advance. Mm. So what I'm saying is, this read is it read it thoroughly. And it's almost like making a. Rather than having a cocktail every night and a, a a meal every night and add a fancy meal at the weekend, it's the same thing. I think it's, right, let's make a really fancy cocktail this weekend and really dive into it, study it, pick the cocktail you want to make, source the ingredients, and if if necessary, make that extra ingredient in advance. Because looking at the recipes, I think you're in for some real mm. treats.
1: There's a lot of um, text here too on the background of all of the Japanese spirits and techniques and and things like that. And Michael has obviously spent a lot of time with Masa going through all of the details. So I'm sure they've both learnt a lot from each other. In yes, process, I would really
0: imagine so. Yeah, mm, and the photography is stunning. It's uh, they are works of art. His cocktails, and uh, I, I would love to have a go at trying to make one or I two of. I think you these. should. I yeah.
1: mean, yes, they're a little bit more tricky. I would say this isn't. Um, you're you're straight away going and and learn to make a cocktail this is when you've built up a little bit more confidence I guess and you you know that you feel like yeah I can take this on but I think as you said it's really nice to have these as a special occasion cocktail or something at at the weekend when you can spend a bit more time and you show your love and appreciation for somebody it's great I'm just at uh, a page called um, the recipe for Maximilian which is um, dedicated to Max Warner, oh, it's right. a beautiful oh, um, cocktail nice. here using Shivers Regal ah. whiskey. So there's lots of stories there that we won't go into, but it's just a lovely little it page is. to come And I across. think it's
0: one of those books. If like me, I like reading cocktail books and imagining that when I'm ready to make them. And this is the sort of book I will read in the evening and dip into it Mm. and then eventually i will find that cocktail and think right that's the one i'm going to make now i'm going to plan to make it at the weekend so that's what i'll be doing so you've got that to look forward to sandra can't wait okay so as i say it's called the japanese art of the cocktail recipes tips and techniques from katana or katana kitten in new york city and beyond it's published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt Publishing Company. It's £24, and you can get it from online for places like Walter And it's a
1: beautiful, beautiful book. We highly recommend it. Definitely worth having in your library.
0: Claire Warner has worked in the drinks industry for over 20 years, And we're not exaggerating when we say that she's excelled in every role that she's undertaken. Starting out as a bartender, and a good one at that, she moved on to become Belvedere Vodka's global brand ambassador. Not only did she prove herself in this position, being awarded Wine Spectator Ambassador of the Year and Best International Brand Ambassador at Tales of the Cocktail, no less, she carved out a niche as Head of Spirit Creation and Mixology, where she oversaw the creation and development of 13 award-winning Belvedere Expressions, helping the brand to be named Vodka Producer of the Year for three successive years. Whilst at Belvedere, Claire set up the Drink, Eat, Live initiative, a revolutionary and much-needed programme designed to help those working in the drinks industry to develop the tools needed to work and enjoy the industry without burning out. Little wonder why she was sought out by Seedlip to co-found its sister brand, the world's first non-alcoholic and super-delicious aperitif range, Acorn. She's a long-standing advocate for positive drinking, has championed lower ABV choices for consumers, and less sugar and more options for those who choose to drink less alcohol. But that's not all. Claire is a well-respected speaker, Educator, industry advocate, and podcaster. She co-chairs the Culture Committee for Tales of the Cocktail and is a mentor for SpeedRack and the Drinks Trust. With such exceptional know-how in the world of no and low alcohol drinking, combined with a realistic approach to positive socializing, Claire had to be our go-to guide for how to achieve a balanced and enjoyable lifestyle, not just in January, but the years ahead. Claire welcome to the cocktail lovers podcast
3: <laughs> thank you so nice to be here that's a, that's a nice intro thank you gary
1: Well, you do so much great work, and we really wanted to speak to you, not just about this, but you know, for everything, everything to do with drinks, but particularly at this time of year because it's January and things are a bit miserable. Some people are doing dry January, some people are cutting out a little bit of alcohol, and some are just going on as they did in December. Which camp are you in, and why?
3: I'm probably in the camp that doesn't really change their drinking habits much throughout the year which is i suppose the camp i would like most of us to to be in i think there's something all or nothing about dry january which makes it feel as though it's sort of like an endurance race and you know i hear lots of people talking about it like they they're getting through it and it's really hard and they've got to work at it and I understand that because I think, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to sort of succeed in hitting all of our New Year's resolutions. And this is one resolution or or goal, I suppose, that's become quite popular over the last few years. But I really would love people to instead think of Dry January as, you know, this sort of awful sort of endurance test of their willpower. Uh, and maybe reframe it as just a way to rebalance, reset, be kind to ourselves in this sort of like perhaps the longest month of the year and, you know, find, find things to do that aren't necessarily associated with drinking that are fun or nice or feel good because this is, you know, one of the toughest months to get through for a number of reasons.
0: I'm really glad you said that because I fall into that (laughs) camp as well so I feel validated now but talking specifically about Dry January because it has become a thing in the last few years what what do you put that down to?
3: Well a really successful marketing campaign from Alcohol Change which initially started in 2013 and really got going in 2015 and sort of made Dry January a thing but I think beyond that there have been a number of factors probably bubbling up that have helped establish Dry January as something that's become, you know, an institution now, growing awareness of health and well-being, you know, how can we take better care of ourselves, you know, really successful campaigns around drink driving, particularly in December. So I think there's just lots of factors that have contributed to, to making Dry Jan a thing, and I think that's a really that's a really good thing if we can think of Dry January as something positive, as opposed to like I said, uh, something that we've got to sort of get through. And you yeah, know, a punishment. Punishment. <laughs> and, and actually, when we do punish ourselves in that way, what seems to happen in February is like lots of people like leap with like you know um, huge excitement back into drinking. And uh, maybe they drink a little bit too much in February, sort of counterbalance all the all the work that they've they've done in um, in January. So I think less the sort of like the all or nothing approach. We should be sort of navigating a more positive relationship with alcohol overall. But yeah, essentially, you know, Dry Jan has become a thing because of marketing. And now it's, you know, I doubt very much that it's going to go anywhere. But I know Ben and I's opinion is that we would love for Dry January to not necessarily be a thing, but for more of us to just, you know, embrace other ways to to drink and not necessarily have it so focused on alcohol or not. Because I was going to ask,
1: what are are there any drawbacks to to having a month dedicated to not drinking? And I think you've kind of answered it by saying that we go all gung-ho for it in February and beyond. You know, it's like, yeah, we've made it. And and then you just go completely over the top. Are there any other drawbacks? I mean, sort of abstaining like that so from from december the 31st to the 1st and then just suddenly drastically cutting out are there any drawbacks that we're doing or you know health implications that way
3: well firstly i'll start by some of the positives that there are for taking some time off drinking then they're well documented you know but personally for me what i tend to notice And I think this month is all about a month of sort of really noticing and paying attention. And maybe we'll talk about mindfulness later on. But for me, it's just about bringing an awareness to what's feeling good or not so good. And because there's not much going on in January, this is a really good time to sort of like build that awareness muscle. But for me, what I tend to notice is that my skin improves and my sleep drastically improves. So I feel rested and I look rested. And the data actually backs that up. So um, some really great surveys, if anybody wants to have a have a look on the alcohol change website. But, you know, 70% of people who, who do do dry January do notice uh, an improvement in their sleep. And they generally feel healthier as a result. And... There's some other research that was conducted a few years ago, I think 2018, by the Royal Free, who really showed that there was a, a reduction in blood pressure, reduced risk of diabetes, lowers cholesterol. So there are some things that you won't notice, but it, are happening inside of you that that are also something to be aware of. So there are there are positives associated with taking some time off, but you know we know that just taking three days in a row off offers some really great benefits. And like you were mentioning, Sandra, taking a whole month off and then on the 1st of February, rushing into the bar, drinking, you know, your body weight and alcohol is is not good for anybody, for anyone's health. But abstinence after a long period of, you know, drinking, like complete abstinence can for some people cause some health effects. So I think it's really important that we do what feels good to us, and really bring awareness to why we're choosing to abstain, be it for three days or a month or a week, and then really remembering why we've chosen to take a break as we bring alcohol back into our lives, and and maybe that's a little less than before, maybe we're, we're drinking differently, maybe we've used this time to experiment and to really widen or broaden our horizons when it comes to what we want to drink. And then go back into enjoying alcohol in a a much sort of more kind, more meaningful way to to our bodies. For me, I think one of the big drawbacks that we perhaps don't see, um, that are not necessarily linked to physical health, but I know many friends choose to do dry January and then I don't see them for a month. So we withdraw, we hibernate, we take ourselves out of our social circles because we perhaps feel we can't socialise without alcohol. And that's a really great lesson for us to kind of lean into the dry Jan experience and still socialize and know that you are not, you know, you're not socially crippled if you don't drink any alcohol. In fact, you're still your own beautiful, marvelous self. You have just got something else in your in your glass. And that's a really useful reminder for many of us who, who really feel like they're not themselves or they can't be themselves without, without without an alcoholic drink. So rather than hibernating in this dark, cold month, we should really be getting out there, getting stuck in and seeing our friends because uh, it's really good for our mental health, which is also socializing is also good for our physical health. So I think that's another drawback is that we we tend to, just disappear when we should be doing the opposite.
0: With that in mind, um, it's quite interesting as well. You know, you, you, you know, let's leave dry January as a thing behind a little bit. And what you said earlier on about the the sort of more balanced approach throughout the year, and I, I think you touched on the sort of three days in a week, for instance. Uh, could you talk to us a little bit more about how we can all have a sort of more balanced approach generally?
3: yeah I think you know, like I mentioned, it's about awareness. It's really about acknowledging that we need to I know it's cheesy and we kind of we talk about hashtag balance all the time, but it really is trying to find that balanced approach to what we eat, what we drink. What we consume in general as a way to to live more mindfully, I suppose um, i spoke I think some people have an issue with mindfulness in this way, but I think we need to raise our consciousness to everything that we consume so that we do consume more mindfully and 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 then we don't get caught up in reinforcing negative habits. You know, what we eat, what we drink, what we do, it's all really based in, in our habits. And those can be easily reinforced, particularly when you eat and drink things that, you know, are pleasurable. So drinking alcohol, eating sugar, eating fast food, all these things have been proven to to be pleasurable, that do things to our physiology, that help us really crave them. And so when it comes to drinking more moderately it's really important that we're very much aware of what we're consuming and why we're consuming it you know a lot of people I'm always surprised I I know this very well but I'm told all the time when you're hungry you're actually probably thirsty and we probably and we know this right you're like drink a glass of water if you're hungry and it's your body's way of just kind of sending a signal to remind you to do something but we've we've confused that signal because we're constantly hungry and we're marketed constantly with food so we reach for a burger or a sandwich or a packet of crisps or a bar of chocolate and in a way it's, it's the same for drinking you know we there's a trigger we respond to it and we don't often think why we, we respond to it we're in the pub with with our friends We are celebrating, and then we think that we must have a a glass of something, as opposed to really sort of sitting and questioning. Well, why do I reach for that without actually thinking about reasons behind that that desire? And so, for me, it's constantly, and actually, it's not constantly because I think it's a muscle that you can strengthen. You know, when I'm in a bar, I'm now thankfully bombarded with brilliant no and low options, so I can have a really great. Drink, and it's not driven by habit, and it's not driven by the fact there's nothing else to drink. It's now like, what do I fancy? What type of mood am I in? You know, am I eating? Uh, What are my friends drinking? And I can choose an option that's not necessarily alcoholic because I'm thinking about what I want, why I want it, and I'm just more mindful of, of that decision making process. So I think it's about not sort of rushing into habit and making decisions based on the fact you've always made that similar decision. It's like really trying to kind of question why you're picking that drink uh, when there's multiple options that are equally delicious.
1: And is that something that you would say to people that still want to do the dry January thing? Because this is the time, you know, we're halfway through the month and people will start to start sliding a little bit or start thinking that they want a drink more. If they do want to keep on track, what would you say? What little tips would you give them?
3: The first thing to acknowledge is that willpower only has so much power. You know, it, there's only so much willpower that can get you through the month of of dry Jan when you're thinking of this as a punishment or something to endure so you know as I mentioned like reframing thinking about you know reconnecting with the reasons why you wanted to do dry January in the first place perhaps visualizing what it's going to feel like when you accomplish this goal you know put the focus on something else something else enjoyable you know if you're being sort of if you're in an environment that's triggering you to really want to enjoy a drink you know maybe experiment with with something that you've not tried before you know as i mentioned there's loads acorn and tonic of, well i mean acorn <laughs> acorn, sorry, acorn acorn aromatic balsamic vinegar and tonic i would challenge anybody to not love that drink and it and it tastes so complex and it's so wonderful and that's you know thank you for allowing me to talk about acorn for one second but you know when when we created acorn i really didn't want us to kind of compromise on the complexity of those products because that's really what you're looking for when you're looking to enjoy a drink that's that's non-alcoholic and something that's going to enable you to sip and savour take your time slow it down and so yes there's loads of great options for us to enjoy but I think the main one is don't be really don't be so hard on yourself because it just it, it wears out that little willpower muscle if you're telling yourself you're not a great person if you can't get through by January. You know, that's the quickest thing that's gonna that's the thing's gonna you know quickly erode your confidence in your ability to get through the month. But I think it's about how can we enjoy the month rather than enduring the
1: month. Thank you so much. I think that's so important for everybody, actually. You know, it's like January's long, it's cold, it's dark, and it's boring. So, you know, as long as we do do the things that you said, be be a bit more mindful, just being balanced about it. So, um, yep, we're doing it. We're doing it.
3: Yay! <laughs> hey, keep going. Keep going if you've already started. Um, be kind to yourself. And you know what? I think it's a really good time to, like, try different things. You know, if you're thinking about up-weighting your exercise, do a different exercise class, maybe experiment with different foods. You know, this is a month of, like, trying new things, really, as opposed to reducing and, you know, sort of berating yourself. I think it's about introducing new things as opposed to taking things out of our diet so crowd out the desire to have a drink if you don't want to drink this month with introducing lots of delicious things for you to ex- experiment with.
1: Absolutely. And so we've we've touched on it again a little bit but what would you say your key tips for for us moving forward not just for the rest of the month but for the rest of the year and the years ahead how do we approach a more balanced approach to these delicious drinks and delicious cocktails that are out there?
3: I think one of the positive things that maybe came out of lockdown is that people really had an opportunity to experiment and find new delicious things to to enjoy and for me that is one of the key sort of ways to drink moderately throughout the year is to experiment and to explore. Obviously, I'm going to ask everybody to have Seedlip and Acorn in their repertoire. They, you know, those two portfolios of drinks can give you upwards of 300 different types of delicious non-alcoholic drinks. So really, you know, explore, explore, try things that you perhaps wouldn't necessarily try but you know open your heart open your mind and really give the no and low category you know an opportunity to to, to draw you in because you know we find that in fact that, that again the stats show that People who are enjoying no and low are drinkers. It's a very small percentage of, of consumers who are actually completely sober. And I think we're all looking for moderation rather than, or many of us are looking for moderation rather than complete abstinence. So, you know, there's, there's some delicious options out there now. There really is, you know, something to drink when you're not drinking. So for me, I think look at it as an opportunity to really get stuck in and experiment.
0: Actually, on, on that, um, you know, we're talking about the, the amazing array of non-alcoholic uh, sort of options available. And you, with ACORN particularly, have been at the sort of forefront of driving this. Could you tell us a little bit about how you personally first became interested in the, these sort of low and no categories?
3: So I think my, my main sort of journey into no and low began quite a few years earlier when I for me, it was getting very tired of traveling and eating bad food and sleeping poorly and probably drinking a little bit too, um, too much, maybe too many martinis. And I was feeling, uh, I was just really feeling the effects. And I I wondered how I could continue to do the job I loved and, you know, still be healthy. So I went on my own personal sort of discovery of, you know, ways to just feel better I was aided, very fortunate, to live with Georgia Van who's a brilliant uh, health nutritionist, sort of ninja. She really sort of kicked my butt in more ways than one. And I discovered a love of, you know, exercise, eating nice food. I, I wasn't aware that I actually wasn't eating enough. I was eating, you know, loads of toast and rubbish foods, but I wasn't eating enough good stuff. So she really showed me how to kind of crowd out the bad stuff with lots of good. So I started to feel really good. Then I really wanted to get everybody else feeling good. And so we set up Drink, Eat, Live, which, as you mentioned, was a sort of platform for encouraging bartenders to reconnect with their their health and well being. I think for a long time in hospitality, we we were told we couldn't be in this business and be healthy. You know, it was like how much can you drink? How late can you stay up? Um, you know, it was a really sort of taxing, very physical uh, industry to be part of. And we started to sort of have the conversation with bartenders around like, you know, how can you do your physically, physically demanding job and, you know, be good to yourself? What can you eat? What can you drink that's going to nourish yourself so that you can do those long shifts, that you can do that 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 sort of do those sort of long travel or, you know, get up in the morning and still perform at your best. And, you know, I remember, Sandra, you came on to a very early, uh, drink it, live sort of experiment. When we took lots of bartenders to Ibiza, and we we then I started to get really interested in like low sugar and what sugar was doing to us and how much sugar we were just sort of drinking and eating without knowing about it. And then I became very interested in in the world of nature and connecting more with natural ingredients. We were using natural ingredients in the flavors of Belvedere. So that that felt like a a bit of a platform for us to stand on, you know, nature, naturalness, keeping things all natural, no sugar, that sort of thing. Then I was introduced to Ben, actually. He came to pitch for some design work as he he is a designer, but he was working for a design agency at the time. And we just really like geeked out on nature and he lent me a book. We became friends and then he started to sort of tinker away in the background uh, on Seedlip. And I think he didn't really know very many people in the drinks business. So he would bring me a few samples and I maybe was one of the first people to tell him he was crazy and that it would not take (laughs) off. What was he wasting his time on? Um, But of course he didn't listen to me, thank goodness. And Thank goodness. yes, exactly. And then so he went on to launch Seedlip. And, you know, we just stayed friends. And I was really impressed by what he was doing. Because it was just it was kind of in line with what I was talking about. But it, it he'd he'd really made the leap from, you know, how can you how can you be in this industry and still, you know, it's what to drink when you're not drinking. It's how can how can we have our cake and eat it, and he created the unicorn in a in a in a way that was fascinating to me. You know, combining nature, drinks, cocktails, our love of the industry. So when he asked me a few few years later if I wanted to join him and create another brand, I mean I had to say yes. It would have been incredibly insane to say no. It all roads
1: were leading to that really weren't yeah,
3: they yeah yeah and I and I do believe in sort of like I don't know I just felt that when we started to talk about nature and well-being with with Belvedere all doors started to really open up and it was though we'd we'd I don't know um we'd discovered a secret and I, I suppose in a way that's how I felt when Ben said you want to come and do do something with me I, I felt I just felt like that it was the right thing to do and I had an incredible 15 years with Belvedere but I've almost I always felt that I was you know there was something else for me to go on and do and that it was also uh, incumbent on me to allow other people within the Belvedere team to you know to continue the brand in a slightly different direction or or take the brand somewhere else so it was the right moment for me to sort of make the leap and I'm really glad that I did
1: so are we, because I must say, whenever we're not drinking, we do have acorn aromatic. And also the bitter as well, don't we? We've started using that. So those are our go-tos and that really helps us get through. And, and and it works
0: in that way of picking up on something you said, Claire, that when we've been working, particularly if we've been working in you know on together all day, and you like to mark the end of the day and the start of the evening. And it works exactly in the same way to have when we had the acorn and the tonic to feel like, yeah, okay, my evening has started, you know, albeit just at home, we're just going to cook dinner, but it kind of, it's that trigger that you were talking about. It's a trigger of, yeah, I'm relaxing now.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, we're quite simple human beings in a way, you know, we need, we need to be, we need to be sort of like shown or, or given a, given a signal that this is what our body should be doing now. And that's why. I think, again, during lockdown, it was so important to be able to provide those people working from home with something to enable them to switch off and move into a different gear and to really sort of demarcate the day. Otherwise, you know, you could easily be sat at your desk until 9pm or, you know, and a glass of water or, you know, a cup of tea doesn't really cut it. So, yeah, I agree. I think that the bitterness, the complexity, that sort of flavor profile of Acorn Sort of scratches that itch for you. So, yeah, totally agree.
1: Absolutely. And during the time, because you've been researching this subject for a long time, low and no, is there a, a particularly fascinating fact that you learned during this time?
3: Many, many.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure.
3: I think the most surprising thing for me was just how many consumers are drinkers. You know, it's, it's, I think it's somewhere sort of up, upwards of 60, 70% of our consumers will be drinkers who are looking to moderate. As opposed to when I started, I imagined that we were talking entirely to those people who can't drink, won't drink, don't drink. And actually, we're actually, we're talking to everybody. We, you know, there's no real demographic for, for no and low because so many. Of us want to moderate so for me it's just you know how much scope there is for this category to continue to grow because of the desire and the demand of the consumer to to drink differently one thing I will say that surprised me um, it's not really sort of a fact or stat but I was really shocked by how much negativity we would often get beginning I think Ben really bore the brunt of it but just how much there was this sort of feeling that we were doing something wrong and that you know we shouldn't be tinkering with the world of no no alcohol no alcohol and that how how many people felt like almost sort of personally affronted by the fact that we were trying to create something for people who don't want to drink for whatever reason, that thankfully has started to you know really lessen in recent years. But that was that was really surprising. You, I would say to people, "I'm going to do this. I'm leaving Belvedere, and I'm going to go and you know work with Seedlip." And so, some of the responses, you know, you couldn't, I couldn't say them, you couldn't write them, but it was it was quite it was that was for me it was quite shocking, but that's softened a lot over the last few years and i think that's that's really been driven by the the work of the bartenders restaurateurs you know our community that have embraced no and low and really you know given those people who aren't drinking something to drink and they're the people who you know often don't say anything they're just quietly silently grateful that they're not having to drink a soda you know drink something dull it was the ones who were drinking that perhaps our products weren't even marketed at that were so upset so that was mm. the most surprising thing for me but thankfully you know is we've the categories being really embraced by by bartenders around the world now so that's made a big difference
1: one of the things that does come up is about the cost of low no and no drinks why are they as expensive as they are
3: yeah, it's, it, is, it is a question that comes up a lot, and I, I do understand the reasons why. For Seedlip and Acorn, I can only really speak about our products. There's an awful lot that goes into making them that you don't see. So the process and the technology. So the technology that has, have to be, that has worked sort of like hand in hand with our ability to create processes that then enable us to produce products that can stand shoulder to shoulder with alcohol, alcoholic products on the back bar. So Seedlip, for instance, can, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder with Tanqueray, Plymouth, whatever, in an ambient condition, open and closed, open and closed by the bartender and still remain delicious and complex and, um, you know, safe for people to consume. So, so that's, you know, the process, the technology... All of that, the sort of like things that you don't see. We're also working with unique production processes, a combination of extraction processes in the case of acorns that we can really get a complex tasting product. There's more, probably more process that goes into producing something non-alcoholic. And then also the ingredients, you know we're having to use the absolute best ingredients we possibly can because there's no hiding place in a non-alcoholic drink you know there's no there's none of the alcohol to do some of the heavy lifting for you so we are an alcohol is a brilliant solvent a brilliant flavor driver great texturally all of these things we have to think about when we're trying to recreate or in fact create something that's going to give you the same experience yeah it's pretty
1: much the same as um i was talking to gary about this earlier about gluten-free bread because they have to use more ingredients so that's why the cost is higher so i just wanted you to say it so people could hear exactly why the cost is like that so thank you very much
3: another analogy if i can just share you know we love oat milk and if you look on the back of any packet of oat milk, it is, they say, you know, the ingredients are oats, sugar, water, oil, but it's two and a half times more expensive than dairy. And for a lot of the reasons that I've explained, process, stability, the ability for it to taste nice, you know, this is the other thing we don't talk about. How, you know, how can you get these things to taste delicious and consistently so? All of that, you know, does come at cost.
0: So and talking of deliciousness which we always like to talk about anyway. It's going back back home. So we're at home and we've touched on it already about sort of acorn and tonic but can you give us a couple of other sort of suggestions from from your experience of what you know some fail safe non-alcoholic delicious drinks we can all make at home really easily.
3: Oh my god, I'm so boring when it comes to cocktails at home. Oh my god. I will so, look, my husband, Dan Warner, hopefully people know he's worked in gin for many, many years. He always has delicious martinis in the freezer. And I know you've talked about this in the past, but it's such a great hack. So, we always have martinis in the freezer. I'm just, you know, a I, I lover of um, seed lip. Grove with tonic I think that for me is such a such a delicious drink but my absolute go-to I think I mentioned it is acorn aromatic balsamic vinegar and tonic water it's the most delicious drink we call it the ABT and I can give it to people who drink and don't drink and everyone's just wowed by it and it's so simple and everybody has balsamic vinegar in their store cupboards and you know if you don't have acorn aromatic shame on you but no if you don't have acorn <laughs> aromatic then um then give it a go it's a really delicious it's a really dish- delicious drink but i think you know balsamic vinegar before acorn came along was was i know from looking at some of the um sort of you know old recipes of what people used to make before there were non alcoholic drinks but balsamic vinegar was such a an ingredient that did a lot of heavy lifting so that in soda that and tonic is is really delicious. But I think, you know, keep it simple, great ingredients, you know, obviously, uh, keep everything cold in the fridge, in the the freezer where you can. But I'm I'm all about simplicity, me.
1: Us too. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your tips and your expertise and your absolute gorgeousness with (laughs) us. Thank you, Claire.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss another episode by simply subscribing wherever you get your podcasts.
1: For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.